All right. A lot of energy in the room today. I love it. Let's go. I just want to keep, keep it going. Let the fellowship go. It's so sweet. Um, probably not as great if you're at home waiting for this, you know, to, to pass. I don't know what they're just looking at a blank screen or something. Um, but yeah, good to good to see everybody. Um, just one quick thing: if you are if you're brand new with us, or you know, kind of fairly new, or even you're not new, but you have questions, uh, we we love questions. Um, you can go over to this area. That's my wife there, right, doing the camera. Um, Tiffany, always behind the scenes. She doesn't like to come up. Like last week when. She was forced to come up and receive the gift. It was, yeah, I knew she was hating that. Right? Oh, right, okay, yeah. I'll tell you later. That's good. Um, Anyways, to the right of my wife is a little area there with couches and a welcome table with some info. I'll be over there after. Uh, John Michelson, our other pastor, uh, we'll, we'll be over there, maybe one of the elders, uh, whoever, staff, Catherine, I think, is going to float around. We're, we'll be over there if you have questions. Um, it could be questions about the church, but also we've kind of realized in some of our leadership meetings that sometimes people have theological questions. You know, sometimes uh, a thing is preached or taught, and it just maybe bothers you or affects you in, in a weird way. It's like it's just you're not able to connect the dots. Now, we might not be able to get into a two-hour theological conversation, but uh, we, we, we love those questions. It's okay to have questions. Um, it's okay to have doubts. It's okay to be confused. I know when I became a, a Christian uh, many years ago, I had so many questions about everything, about how this all works, about, about the righteousness of God, about heaven, about hell, about who's a Christian, who's not, how does this work, how do people become Christian, all of it. And there were just so many, why do bad things happen to good people? You know, I had all the classic philosophical and theological questions, and, and they, they, they kind of drove me crazy. And I am just so thankful that uh, I had people in my life who were patient with me and would listen and try to understand my questions and and try to walk me through. This is not meant to do alone. I think sometimes, you know, uh, you know, people come and they begin to sort of, you know, get curious about Christianity and begin to kind of check things out. And, you know, they get into it a little bit and realize, whoa, I don't know. I don't understand all this. This is just too confusing. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think I believe this, and, and they just kind of drop out. Uh, even sometimes people who grew up in the church, and then they hit 19 years old or 22 years old, and they just begin to question things, deconstruct, and sometimes they just do that on their own. And I just want to encourage us, everyone here, to not wrestle with your doubts and questions and struggles alone. I mean, you have to do that partly alone, right? But do it with, with believers. Do it with the family of God. That's what we're here for. It's not like the, 
the church exists and you know we all are this you know kind of arrived at some perfect place of believing and and, and living for, for Jesus. No, we're, we're all in process. I've been a Christian for over 30 years, and I still have questions. There are still a lot of questions that if you ask me, I would say, I, I really don't know. I, I don't know why God does that. I don't know why this works this, this particular way. Um, I have some ideas. I have some theories. But not, you know, the Bible is not the the answer book for every single question. How many know that? Now, it gives us a lot. It does. But really what the Bible points to is who God is. It reveals who God is. And it shows us that he knows what we don't know. And he is trustworthy. And it's, it's really a book of testimonies of the faithfulness of God. And so we can point you in that direction. But there are answers, too. I think that I've, there's been questions that have driven me crazy that I have deeply resolved. Um, I think, you know, when I was a new Christian, what one of the big things that really bothered me was I just couldn't understand. And this could be a whole sermon in itself, but I just couldn't understand why there would be a hell or why there would be, you know, why, why can't everybody just, you know, come into heaven and just why can't we be one happy eternal family, everyone all together? You know, why? Can't, it just bothered me so much. Like, huh, God is so good. I was feeling his love. I was feeling his kindness. And it just it didn't seem to fit like who he, who he is, that, that there would be this place of separation and I won't get into it because it is a whole sermon, but I really had to wrestle, wrestle through and really came to a good, solid understanding of the justice of God and how the wrath of God reconciles with the goodness and the mercy of God. Um, and that takes time. But I didn't do that alone. I had teachers. I had mentors. I had people that walked me through the scriptures and, and taught me. Uh, so anyways, I feel like it's so strong on my heart to, to share that this morning. It's not my sermon. It's more of an announcement, I guess. But I feel like that's, uh, you know, that's for someone in here. Uh, don't do it alone. But yeah, the announcement was that after service we'll be over <laughs> by the table. <laughs> this, is, this is why I shouldn't do announcements. <clears throat> All right. Let's get into the word. And then we're going to take communion uh, today. Um, but this, <clears throat> this message, a simple message, I believe will uh, prepare us, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> prepare us to uh, take communion together. Uh, we don't want to do it in an overly familiar way um, or in a casual manner. We want to do it with a sense of awe. And so hopefully this message will, will kind of breathe a little bit of that into us this morning. Uh, so if you have a Bible or a Bible app, you can, you can turn to John chapter 3. We're going to look at a real familiar verse of Scripture, uh, John 3.16 and 17 and 18 as well. But you probably, even if you're not uh, super churched, 
or don't know much about the Bible, you probably at least know John 3.16 because you see it at baseball games and football games. And I'm not even sure how that happened, <laughs> but it just seems to be the most popular verse, right, that's posted, uh, right? And, it's, you know, John 3.16 are these giant, oh, thank you so much, um, you know, these, these giant banners that, that will say God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's just probably the most like Amazing Grace is the most popular Christian hymn. Probably John 3.16 is the most popular, most famous uh, verses in all the Bible. And there's a reason for that, which we'll get into. After I get a sip of water. Thank you, Dan. <clears throat> Dying up here. Everybody's just watching me die. <laughs> At least there's one person that has compassion. <clears throat> Okay, um, what was I saying? Yeah, so we'll get into that in a moment. But let's read, read through this. Maybe I'll just read it first just to get a feel for it, and then we'll kind of go back through and uh, unpack different words and phrases. It says this, John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Sometimes we use the word so, I know I do. I have a lot of filler words, but we use it as a filler word. Um, but here, it's not, it's not just a, a filler word. It's a powerful little word, two letters. God so, so loved the world. You know, we're talking about a love that is like nothing in this world. It is an otherworldly love. As humans, we're broken, we're flawed, we have a sin in us. Even after we're Christian, right, we have God's love in us, but we still are, we're still deficient in, in many ways. We don't love exactly the way God loves, not even close but the love of God is unquenchable. The love of God is an unconditional, incredible, everlasting love. It burns for us. It burns for people. And so I love this. I mean, I think that's kind of partly why. Maybe it's the most famous verse. People love this idea. It's such good news that there is a God, and he so loves us. Think about that. Maybe, you know, we would be brought into this world and things wouldn't be like that. Maybe, I don't know, just this is the way things are eternally. Just kind of take that in for a moment, sort of philosophically. Like maybe there could be a whole bunch of different gods and they have disagreements and fight all the time. Or maybe there's a God who 
isn't a kind and loving God or a God who has very little patience, um, but the God, the God of gods, the only true God, the one who, you know, when you go outside of everything, there is only one ultimate reality. There's only one truth. There's only one true God. And the good news is that he so loves the world. Now, when he says the world, it doesn't mean just the planet. He, I think God does love the world that he made, you know, the trees and the ocean and all the animals and all this. You know, God loves creation. He created it in Genesis chapter 1, right? It says that he made it, and he said it's good. It's, it's good. But um, when he's talking about the world here, he's talking about people. And what makes this verse so incredible is that God so loves the people of this world, people who are broken. I mean, think about the people of this world. Genesis 6 says, every inclination of men's hearts were only evil continually. Think about the things that people do, the hatred the rebellion, the breaking of God's laws, the uh, willful sin against God, the lust, the rape, the murders that happen around the planet. I mean, all of it, you'd think just, why would God so love a people like us. And maybe you feel like you're really lovable. Um, hate to break it to you, but you're not. <laughs> we are not, it doesn't make sense. We are not lovable. Listen, if you're cute, if you have, a, a, you know, a cute personality or you have like certain traits that are charming or charismatic or whatever, like, all of that was just basically endowed to you by God. The only thing you're responsible for is what you've done with your will, <laughs> right? And so none of us in that sense are lovely. We've all sinned the Bible says. We've all broken the laws of God. We're all at enmity with God. There's not one person that got from God's perspective. There is no one good. There is no one righteous. From God's perspective, and I know we don't really understand this because we kind of have a whole different uh, kind of measuring stick of, well, that person's good and that, yeah, I don't know, I guess they're kind of, sometimes they're good, but other times they're not, and this person's really bad. But the, God is coming from a completely different perspective, a holy perspective. He is so other than us that when compared to him, even the, the person we think is so good and they're, Good deeds or righteousness? What does the scripture say? It's like filthy rags. 
from God's perspective. Think about that. That's kind of incredible. Maybe that's not encouraging to you, right? You say, well, I thought, you know, I walked in here this morning feeling pretty good. You know, I feel like I'm a good person. And now you're telling me, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not lovely and I'm not good and I'm a sinner and I'm, um, you know, a rebel against God and all this. That, that just is what it is, you know? I mean, I, I know some people in the culture don't love that idea and they feel they criticize Christianity because of that. I don't know. Okay, well, whatever. You can lie to yourself, you know, <laughs> and, and try to deceive yourself and call yourself good, but the Bible's really clear about who we are in ourselves. We are sinners, broken, rebellious sinners at enmity with God. We're actually born with that sinful nature of enmity. But that's what makes the good news so good. That's what makes this verse so incredible. That God so loves sinful people. I don't know about you, but you know, when I when I was 21 years old, and I started hearing the gospel. That was good news. You know, I mean, some people say, oh, you got to get through the bad news first, you know. So they gave me the bad news. Oh, you're a sinner. <laughs> yeah, I know. Duh. Like, okay, well, I know that already, that I'm a sinner, that I've broken the laws of God. I know that. The good news was that God so lo- that God wanted me, that God wants Sinful people. That God loves us, even though we're unlovely. He desires us, even though we are undeserving. That's the scandal of the grace of God. It's a beautiful thing. And he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. (laughs) That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is the heart of the gospel right there. That God didn't just so love us with a big, a big emotional feeling up in heaven. But he actually did something about our hopeless situation. Again, no amount of good works could redeem ourselves. Right? There, there, no amount of tears, no amount of religious activity. There was, we as a human race, like all of us were in a place where there was nothing that we could do to save ourselves. And it would have been just for God to come and just, you know what? No. You guys are... wicked and just destroy us he could have been he could have done that but he didn't and he also couldn't i know this is a little hard to grasp this is one of the things you kind of have to work through but he couldn't just forgive us he couldn't just say well you know they're so they're so messed up they've broken my laws but you know what i'm just going to i'm just going to forgive them and throw it to the wind and invite him into my eternal kingdom anyways. God actually couldn't do that. 
because it would be a violation of his justice and it would be a violation of his holiness. That's what this sacrifice of the Son is all about. Now, for those who are really new to Christianity, we believe in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We call it the triune God. Uh, It's not three gods. It's one God in three distinct persons, and it's a mystery. Nobody really fully understands it. But when we're talking about the Son, we're talking about God coming and giving his life. It's God in the flesh, God in a human body coming out of the place of glory out of heaven and coming down into this dirty, messy world and willingly, voluntarily giving his life as a sacrifice or a ransom, if you will, for our sins, a payment. We were, put it this way, we had a debt that we could not pay. So God said, I'm going to pay the debt for you. And so that's why Christ came. He didn't come just to be a good moral teacher, a good moral example. He didn't just come, uh, you know, to uh, show us how to live. Uh, Those things are, are a part of it. But he came for one primary reason, and it was to be the Lamb of God, right? It was to be this sacrifice for sin, to stand in our place, to take to sort of absorb the wrath of God upon himself so that we wouldn't have to. Who does that? Actually, it even says, bookmarked here, Romans 5, it says, while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God so loved us in our sinful condition that he gave his son as a sacrifice for our sins. How humbling is that? When you just take it in, I mean, who, you know, it's like somebody giving you just like the craziest gift that you could ever imagine, and you did nothing to deserve it. In fact, you did the opposite. You know, it would be like me, uh, just, you know, my next door neighbor, I don't like him. So I, you know, I vandalize his house, you know, toilet paper, all the trees and bushes in the front and, you know, break some windows and curse his name around the neighborhood. And then one day he just comes over and gives me this incredible gift. That doesn't even come close to describing it. But it's just like humbling, right? Oh my gosh, I don't I think this is what makes the believing part so difficult because it deals with our pride. Right? This is why a lot of people can't receive the gospel. That's why a lot of people reject Christianity. It's just too they they actually people actually prefer 
religion and a system of works. They prefer like, okay, if I do all these things, then I become good and I earn my place in heaven or paradise or whatever. Oh, we love that. That just feeds our pride. But the gospel is, says, there's not, you don't deserve anything. You can't do anything to earn this thing. You just have to receive it as a free gift. And boy, does that crumple your pride. It's like, wow. Okay. All you can say is thank you. That's the good news. Verse 17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. I love that. I love that. It's funny how people think that, uh, you know, oh, the Christians, uh, the you know, they condemn people and they should put, you know, put everybody down. Like, they, that's such a misunderstanding. Now, there may be some churches that, that are just like, condemning everyone and you know just I get that but that's not the spirit of the gospel you know Christ came not to uh, destroy the earth Christ came not to you know come and just condemn everybody to hell he didn't come to just tell everybody you're you're terrible you're rotten and 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 God doesn't want you he came to seek and save that which is lost. He came to give his life. He came to invite. He came to pull prodigals home. He came to draw in sinners. He came for all of us and and, and brought us to himself. That's the heart of God. One of my favorite verses is that, you know, God is not willing for any to perish. But his desire, his heart is for all to come and receive eternal life, to repent, to believe, to receive this gift. God longs for us. You know, I think of the, the picture in Scripture where Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem, kind of toward the end of his ministry. He's like weeping and he's like just saying, ah, you know, how often I, I wanted to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you were unwilling. It, you, you sense this kind of grief, this brokenheartedness, almost this lovesick longing for those who basically wanted to kill him and did end up killing him. He was weeping for those who are plotting to murder him. That's the heart of God. That's good news. That's good news for sinful people like me and for you. Well, verse, uh, verse 18 says, whoever believes in him is not condemned But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. I think the old King James Bible uses the word whosoever. I love that. Whosoever. You know, just that this invitation goes out to 
uh, to all. Whosoever means whosoever. It means whosoever is willing to come and to believe uh, is, can come. Whosoever is willing, let him come and drink freely of the waters of life, the Bible says. You know? Whosoever is thirsty, um, come to the waters, Isaiah 55. Whosoever is, whosoever believes will have eternal life. I mean, this is huge if you think about it. Think of how exclusive so many different things are in this world. I mean, what, what, what can you be, even be a part of in this planet that it just has no, there's like no membership requirements at all. You know, like anybody can just be a part of this thing. Whosoever means, let's just be a little, I don't know what the word is. It's not crass, but murderers, people who have, you know, maybe they're in jail right now because of sex crimes that they've committed, people who have prostituted their bodies, people who are drug addicts or alcoholics, people, men who have abused their wives. I mean, people who have stolen from other people, people who have uh, physically hit their mothers. I mean, think about the worst things you can think of that people have done, and yet, whosoever. This is the scandal of the gospel. This is kind of why people really don't like Christianity. It's like, what? Did Jesus invites those people? I'm not being a part of this. I don't want to hang out with those people. I want to hang out with like good people, nice people, people like me. You see why people reject the gospel sometimes, you know? It, this is the grace of God extends mercy and forgiveness to, to all and says, come, come as you are. Come home, come with all of your sin, with all of your burden. Come with all of your burden of guilt on your back and let me take it away. Let me remember it no more. Let me wash your sins as far as the east is from the west. Let me give you a new life. Let me change everything. I remember when I first heard that, I was like, seriously? Like, all of it? Like, everything I've done in 21 years. Like, all all of that, you're just going to wipe away? No wonder I wept for the first couple years. I mean, I, there was a lot. There was a lot in 21 years. But that's the goodness of God. He just wipes it clean away and gives us a new start. Wow. That's the gospel. That's the goodness of God. And what, and what, what do we do? We, we, just, we receive it. 
And in the word here uh, that comes up several times in this passage is the word belief, right? Which I think can be a little bit misunderstood, right? You know, I think that you know, everybody kind of believes. You know, I think about, um, you know, these little Walmart posters and stuff, you know, just believe or bumper stickers. And it just be, it's become such a fluffy thing, right? You know, well, just believe. I believe. And uh, what was the song from the 80s? Uh, you know, got to have faith or something like that. There's just so many... Or don't stop believing the journey. What is that even? What are they talking about? I don't even know what they're talking about. But it's like faith has become kind of this uh, thing in American culture that oh, we believe. You know, politicians use the the phrase. But what are we really talking about? What is Jesus talking about? That that's what we need to we need to do because this matters, right? Because it says that if we believe. We will not perish, but have eternal life. So we're talking about, like, if if we believe in him, it makes the difference between eternal separation from God or, read Revelation 21 and 22, spending eternity in this city that God Himself is the designer and builder of <laughs> where there's no more sorrow and no more pain and, and, and no more brokenness and no more death and, and there's no, not even a need for the, the moon or the sun or a lamp because God himself illuminates it all and the whole atmosphere is charged, permeated with his love and his joy. That's what we're talking about. That belief determines that. If we don't believe, then we are separated out forever. If we do believe, we have him for eternity. So it's a good, important question to ask yourself, what does it really mean to believe? Is it what George Michael was saying in his size of what the, the journey? Like, what, is it the, the Walmart poster? Is it, what does it mean to believe? It's not just a head knowledge, right? James, ta- actually, I bookmarked this one, too. This is a good one. James puts it this way. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, I got faith, but does not have works, can that faith save him? And he gives an example. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed as for the body, needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. He even gives the example that Even the demons believe, but they are not saved. They are not not gonna be hanging out with us in that eternal city, right? But the demons believe, oh, they they tremble at God. Probably demons have a grasp on accurate theology in ways that we, we don't even can't even imagine. 
So it's more than just head knowledge. It's more than just believing about Jesus or believing the Bible, you know, or believing a set of, you know, 16 fundamental truths or whatever it is, you know, some kind of catechism that we learn and we, yep, I believe that, I believe that, check, 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 got it all, I believe it all. That's not the kind of, that's not what biblical belief is. It's, it's more trust. It's more a clinging. To really believe is to turn your life away from sin and to turn it toward God and fix your eyes on him and trust him and obey him and cling to him. Believing is to hate sin and to love righteousness. So don't let anybody, listen, I have talked to so many people through the years who claim to believe and yet their lifestyle is not in alignment with that professed belief. That kind of faith, James says, is dead. It's dead. It's worthless. It does nothing. It will not save you. Mental assent to a doctrine about the Bible, the doctrines of the Bible, will not save anybody. Take that in. I mean, Jesus put it this way with the Pharisees, right? I mean, think about the Pharisees, the religious teachers of the day. They were, I mean, these guys were, they were into it. They knew the Bible. They knew the scriptures. They understood, you know, theology. And and in many ways, I mean, Jesus even said to his own disciples, yeah, Listen to what they say, because a lot of what they say is actually good, but don't do what they do. Don't follow their ways. But Jesus said to them, you diligently search the scriptures because you, know, you think that you'll find eternal life that way. In other words, you diligently study the Bible. You diligently, you know, sit in circles and discuss things and get into theology and read books and you've devoted your whole lives to understanding who God is. You believe and yet, he said, you refuse to come to me for eternal life. Are you catching that? This could be a whole sermon in itself, of course, right? Talking about what, what it means to have faith. But I just want to lay that out that, you know, we need to be, we need to be real. Like, this is, this is one of those paradoxes, I guess. Right, Mark? We love paradoxes, right? <laughs> you know, one of the great paradoxes of the faith. It's a, it's a free gift, right? Salvation is a free gift. We don't do anything to receive it. And yet, at the same time, if we really receive the gift, it changes us. It produces works. It produces righteousness. It produces uh, joy and love and good works. If it's not producing 
a changed life, then the faith is dead. You hear what I'm saying? And that's exactly what James is saying. Without works, faith is meaningless. So what do we do with all this? You know, we rejoice in the good news. We believe. We be believing. <laughs> we, we need to be about it. You know, clinging to him, trusting in him, obeying him, loving him. Like, listen, there is a current in this world. Satan is moving this world in a, in a direction. And listen, a lot of Christians are starting to go down that stream as well. We need to be the opposite. We need to be counterculture. We need to be moving in the direction of God. We need to be fixing our eyes on Christ in Christ alone. He is our only hope. That is our only hope. Holding on to Christ. Not an idea of Christ, but holding on to him. Walking with him. Well, you say, yeah, but you know, when I was seven years old, I gave my heart to Jesus. And, and I was saved when I was seven. So, you know, I don't know. It doesn't matter exactly how I live now because, you know, he's, uh, you know, he's got me. He's never going to leave me. Listen, what matters is right this moment where we are. And we can argue about that theologically, but if we aren't abiding in him when we pass from this life to the next or when Christ comes back, we'll be lost. And we can argue about, well, was the person, you know, never saved in the first place or were they genuinely saved but then they, you know, lost their salvation? Theologians argue about this all the time. It kind of doesn't matter. What matters is that we are in Christ, bearing fruit till the end. Like there is a necessity to persevere to the end. How many can say amen? That's why the Bible warns us about falling away, falling back into drifting away. Doing No, you got to stay close. So for any in this place who are far, come close today. Come close. He doesn't want us to be far. He doesn't want us to be at, at a distance from him. Just like he, he cares about the worst criminals out there and invites them. For those of us who've kind of been around the church but we're living far, he's saying, come close. Come near to me. And again, just like we came to the Lord in the first place, we've got to continue to live that way. And we come boldly to the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace in a time of need. You know what happens sometimes with us? You know, we, when we first come to the Lord, uh, we're so aware of how, how sinful we are, right? We just come and we're, you know, we're a mess. We're like crying maybe and we just receive the mercy of God. But then somewhere down the line, we, the pride comes back in. And we forget how to, how to do that. You know, we've, we've, and we, 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 we feel like we, we can't do that. We can't just come and throw ourselves at the mercy of God because, I don't know, maybe his love has run out for us. Maybe his mercy has run out. Or, you know, because we knew better. We, we, we know better. We shouldn't have done all these things. We can't just come to him now and receive mercy. 
Listen, those are delusions from the evil one. God wants every single one of us in this place, even if you're the worst, most terrible sinner, or if you are just a Christian that's kind of drifted away and gotten far from it, it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done. The whosoever is for today. Whosoever believes, let him come. Let him drink freely of the waters of life. Let him receive the mercies of of God. Amen? All right. Well, let's, uh, Mark, one of our elders, is going to come up and lead us in communion. Uh, Let's let's not rustle around too much. If you have to go to the bathroom, okay. You know, I I don't want to. But let's just, let's focus in. I know this was a, kind of like a lecture or whatever, but listen, let's, let's focus in and let's do this with a, with a sense of reverence this morning. Thanks, Mark.